0: evening to everyone. You know, in the world we live in, it is very good at making things confusing. Our world is uh, very adept at taking some simple concepts or some simple structures in our life and adding much confusion to them, complexities that oftentimes don't need to be there. When we look at Christianity in particular, the world has confused, made it complex, has changed or added to or twisted just some basic simple tenets and principles of life, teachings that we find there. Tonight I want to talk about the simplicity and also the depth of Christianity, in Titus chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, it reads, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. When we think about uh, simplicity and depth of Christianity, the first thing that uh, I want to think about is the simplicity that we find in God's Word. John chapter 21 verse 25, if you'll turn to John chapter 21 verse 25, the last verse in John, we think about the Bible that we can hold in our hands, uh, an amazing book that in one simple volume contains God's message to humanity. You know, if you walk into uh, any library any bookstore or you browse through any online book catalog, you see thousands if not millions of books, books on all sorts of different topics, history and geography and science and medicine and philosophy, things to improve your life, to change your life, to make things better. The philosophies of men are rampant, huge, many volumes. When we turn to God's word, what we find is that we have in one simple form God's message. And what we find in John chapter 21 verse 25 is an interesting contrast to sort of the mind of God. It reads in this last verse of the gospel of John, and there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. You see, just in the life of our Savior Jesus Christ, what he did, where he went, what he said, if we had all of it, well, John says that the world could not contain the books that would be written to describe and to relate it to us. But you see, God in his omniscience in his understanding who we were and what we need, what he gave to us was one simple volume that in this volume records all of history from the very beginning through the first century and gives us principles for every generation in the future, the past, the present, and until the world ends. He saw in his, his wisdom to give to us only what we needed, into a form that we could understand and digest. In uh, Jude, verse 3, Jude, we we find that it, it says, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. You see, we have in one simple volume, one unified message, the faith, that was laid down and given to humanity at the time of the writing of this, of this book, all that we needed. Actually, Peter would write in 2 Peter 1, verse 3, that when he talks about this word, speaking of God, he says, His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue. All things that pertain to life and godliness can be found in God's word. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 tells us that uh, all scripture is God-breathed, that it's profitable for doctrine and reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. All the scripture that God gave. But we know from John chapter 20, verse 21, or 21, verse 25, that that what he gave to us was really a, a limited set of everything that Jesus gave to us. Romans chapter 15, verse 4, speaks a, a little bit to the depth of God's word. We talked about maybe some simplicity, one simple volume of God's message to us, one thing that we can pick up and understand His will, but yet in Romans chapter 15, verse 4, it speaks about that the things written before time were written for our learning begins to hint at that inside of this simple volume there's there's some depth that through man's history God spoke to man gave to man his his will and his message and that he did that in stages so that man could understand who God was and who man was what role we had and and what role to please the father When we get to the New Testament, Paul looks at it and he says, what was written before time, the scripture that was written before time that you can hold in your hands and that you can have in a scroll and that when we go to the synagogue, we hear preached and spoken to us that that was for our learning, bringing us to a knowledge, right? Galatians 3 verse 24, that the law was our tutor. It was our schoolmaster to bring us to a fullness of what God wanted. Two simple divisions Old Testament, New Testament, in one simple volume to understand all of what God has brought humanity to the point of Christ's death and sacrifice and living in the Christian age. When we look at Christianity, it is simple but yet deep. We have a a book that now in our hands is unchanging, unchanging. Matthew chapter 24, verse 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. You know, in a world that is confused, in a world that changes all the time, we can hold in our two hands a message, a truth, principles that are fixed, solid, stable, unchanging, something that we can go back to time and, And time again, if we forget, what do we need to do and where do we need to go and how do we need to live? Hebrews 13, verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Paul, speaking to the churches in Galatia, uh, chapter 1, verse 8, See, the world was confusing the churches at that time, trying to bring in additions and changes to to the simple gospel that had been brought to them already. And Paul writes in Galatians chapter 1 verse 8, he says, even if we or an angel preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached, let him be accursed. He said The gospel, the simple, plain gospel message that you know that was preached to you, brought to you, shown to you, that you understood, that's it. That's God's message. Don't change it. Don't look for changes. You know, we look at uh, the denominational world around us. Uh, Why are there so many churches? Why are there so many different groups? And, And the simple foundational answer to that is that Man confuses things. There are additional texts, books of doctrine, books of discipline, creed books. There are books claiming to have come from an angel. There are separate religion religions. There are even those that say the religion is constantly changing and morphing, that there is continued revelation, but that is exactly the opposite of what Paul said and what Paul preached and the gospel that we have in front of us. But there is some amazing depth to God's Word. You know, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, Peter speaks about that as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word. You see, Peter said that there was there was milk, there was simpleness in God's message, and we're going to talk about some of that in just a moment. But there was something that was easy to take in, to start with, to digest. And the contrast to that is that that's where you start, right? That's where babes start is with the milk, but they don't stay there, they can't stay there, they need more. And so, we have this amazing meat of the word. Paul would talk about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and, and says, Brethren. I could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now, you were not able to receive it. All right, so Peter started with them with the milk. He gave them what was simple and easy to digest and to take in, and he was about to get to the meat and to exhort them to take on that solid food, the depth that we find in the scripture. And so point number two is, when we look at Christianity, we have simplicity and depth in its teaching. If you would, turn with me to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter five. We have this one simple volume to tell us about the message from God, about Christianity and our place as Christians, and there are some simple concepts within it. In Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 22, Paul writes and he says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Love. all right. He starts in the fruit of the Spirit mentioning love. That's something simple. Simple to see and understand that it is beneficial for our lives. It is something that we want. Inherently, we desire love. We desire to, to have that bond and relationship with someone else. To be a part of their life and have someone else a part of our life. It's, it's simple. It makes sense joy, right? Joy. We want to be happy. We want to feel that contentment that goes deep. We want to have times of elation and humor, laughing. It's a simple topic, one that is obvious that we want in our lives. Peace. We want peacefulness. We don't want to be stressed. That's That's obvious, that's simple to see, long-suffering and kindness and goodness. But what you see is, is that the fruit of the Spirit follows a section that we know as the works of the flesh. Look back just a few verses at verse 19. This is where the world confuses the simple truths found in the Scriptures. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies. Outbursts of wrath and selfish ambitions, dissensions and heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. You see, the world looks at some of the activities of man, and they say that uh, to find joy, you do it a different way. That you find things that are good for you and that you do more of them for yourself, that you keep to yourself whatever you can get, that you live your life the way that you ought to live and, and whatever you want. And so because of that, the actions that Paul is talking about are very selfish in nature, very inward-looking and personal. And so Paul lists these. And then says, gives the contrast that look back at the simple truths that God wants in your life of loving others, having joy and peace and being patient with them and looking for kindness and looking for goodness. When we look at and think about Paul, if we turn over just a couple of books to Philippians chapter 4, in the book of Philippians, Paul writes to this church at Philippi, And when you read this book, this letter to them, it is a letter of love. It is a letter of relationship where Paul knew them. And he had this very intimate bond with this congregation of the Lord's church. A word we find through Philippians is the word joy. In Philippians chapter 4, looking at verse 4, as he begins to wrap up the letter, he's already talked about that his joy is knowing them his joy is to pray for them his joy is that he has this relationship where they have helped him as he has tried to help them and in Philippians 4 verse 4 he says rejoice in the Lord always again I will say rejoice let your gentleness be known to all men the Lord is at hand be anxious for nothing But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Just like he wrote to the churches in Galatia about the fruit of the Spirit, he turns to the the, the church at Philippi and he says, I rejoice in knowing you and having this bond with you. You also find that simple yet deep joy When you rejoice with each other, when you rejoice in the Lord, when you are gentle with each other and with the world around you, when you put away stress and you look for peace and you you be not anxious. And then what does he talk about? He talks about the peace that passes understanding or surpasses understanding. You know, he doesn't say that peace is unattainable. He just says the peace that is in God's word, that is in the brotherhood, that is in the Lord, and in living a Christian life is a peace that that you won't fully understand, but that you can fully attain. Paul writes to them, trying to express to them that there are some simple truths that run deep in a Christian's life. He wants them to have this. As we think about this idea of simplicity and uh, depth to the teaching of the Bible, turn back with me to Matthew chapter 5 for a few minutes. Matthew chapter 5, we, uh, we look at this section of scripture as the greatest sermon ever preached. Jesus, on the mount, gave this sermon absolutely revolutionary for his time, absolutely profound to the audience that heard him first and profound for us as we look back at it. In this section of scripture, he is taking some simple ideas and then beginning to drill down in a deep way. We find in verse 21 through 26 Matthew 5, 21 through 26, he starts off, You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. All right, a simple, simple principle that has amazing, right? If we do not murder, if we do not seek harm with others, what does that mean for our society? It means that our society can live congenial with each other that we can have amicable relationships that we can build each other up that we don't have to be looking over our shoulder in in fear or distress that we are looking to somebody else's good interest instead of ours that is a simple principle taught right here in God's word and Jesus says you have seen this simple principle but what what's the depth of this principle he says you've heard you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. You see, he he takes this simple principle about murder, which benefits all of humanity and society, and then he takes it that depth deeper, the, the depth that Christianity takes humanity. And he says, not only do you not murder and seek physical harm, but don't even have anger and hatred towards someone else, towards a brother. If you think back to Galatians chapter 5 in the works of the flesh, hatred was one of those in the works of the flesh. But love was one in the fruit of the Spirit. Jesus says that that hatred or murder starts in the heart and it starts in the mind If you back up and you clean your heart and you clean your mind, you'll never even have to get to the ultimate result. He talks about love and our actions for others. Taking that same idea, if you skip down a few verses to verse 43 in this chapter, Matthew 5, verse 43, again, Jesus takes a simple principle. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor. Right, that's a simple statement. All right, You shall love your neighbor. Well, that's, that's something that uh, seems obvious. That's something that is beneficial for all of humanity, something that is taught in the Old Testament that was understood at that time, which is a principle of God that we love our neighbor. But he's about to take that to that deeper level. You know, it's oftentimes very easy to reciprocate love. Someone is loving to you, generous to you, kind to you. It's it's easy to to give that thankfulness back and that gratitude back and to express your love back to them. But what do you do when they don't show you love? Well, that's what he goes on and talks about. He says in verse 44, I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who who spitefully use you and persecute you. You see, the simple nature of the scripture is that it gives us things that are absolutely beneficial within our lives, to ourselves, to our society, but the depth of Christianity is when we take that principle and we apply it to the depth that Jesus showed us in his example, taught us in his words, we find that our love doesn't just extend to reciprocating, our love extends to the rest of humanity. We think Souls, when we look at other people, we think of their interest and what we can do to better them. In two chapters, Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, we have what we understand or what we term often the golden rule. Whatever you want men to do to you, do also unto them. All right? The golden rule. It's the idea of loving and thinking about others deeper and more. Than ourselves in this Sermon on the Mount Jesus uses a uh, talks about several other uh, important profound ideas and one of them is found in, in verses 27 through 30 of, Ma- of chapter 5 when he's talking about the relationships and he says you have heard that it was said to those of old you shall not commit adultery all right is that beneficial for humanity absolutely does the world Confuse that idea? Absolutely. A simple truth. He does not want adultery. He does not want uh, unfaithfulness. He wants faithfulness. He wants commitment. He goes on to say in verse 28 I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Here is this action which you need to avoid in your life, one that was in the works of the flesh in Galatians chapter 5. And he drills down deeper and says, if you want to have the mind of Christ, if you want to live the Christian life in its fullness, in its depth, that you remove the lust from your heart, from your eyes, from your mind. And by doing so, the action will never, ever take place. He goes on in the next few verses, uh, building up to verse 31, where he elevates marriage the marriage relationship. And he says, Furthermore, it has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of a divorce. But I say to you, whoever divorces his wife for any reason except fornication causes her to commit adultery. He says the marriage relationship is profound, that it is stabilizing for all of humanity, for the cultures that we live in, every society, every age, that when you have a husband and a wife and a family that stays committed to each other that you have this foundation you know in Matthew chapter 19 that's exactly where Jesus went when they asked is this lawful can why why did Moses allow this and he says it was not so from the very beginning here in christianity we get back to the fundamental roots we get back to the simple yet profound that marriage and relationships that there is a deepness to the love that we find in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verses 22 following, we find that uh, in this section, Paul writes on relationships, and he builds upon the teaching, the simple teaching that uh, the marriage relationship is is pivotal, uh, is paramount for society and for life and for peacefulness and joy. And in verse 22, he talks about the roles within that marriage relationship, What Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. The husband is head of the wife as also Christ is the head of the church. In verses 25 and following, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He says this marriage bond of wives and husbands is reciprocal of of respect and of love and of of sharing and, and thinking about each other higher than themselves And what is the depth of Christianity that Paul brings in? He brings in and says, You know this bond. The world sees this bond. But for Christianity, this bond is so profound that it mimics and it follows the bond of Christ and the church, Christ saving the church, Christ being the head of the church. And here we have husbands and wives. He goes on in chapter six talking about parents and children. How critical relationships are the depth of children looking to their parents in obedience. That parents wanting the best for their children and not provoking them to wrath, not angering them, not trying to draw out of them things that behaviors and actions that God does not want. He goes on in chapter in chapter six five through nine, speaking about how. Uh, Servants and masters or people with authority and people under authority how they are to look to each other when we look at scripture what we find is simple statements that make sense in our life and then Christianity deepens them makes them profound in our hearts and our minds to improve our life the third point when we think about Christianity is the simplicity and the depth of the church. We've talked about the, the word of God that gives us the authority and the teaching that is found within it. provides things that we can easily understand and then we can drill down deep in our lives. When we turn and we think about the church, the church again, uh, it contrasts the confusion found in the world. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33, it says, God is not the author of confusion but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Ephesians 4, 4 through 6, talks about there being one church. Matthew 16, verse 18, Jesus specifically, speaking to his apostles, says that he is to build His church, the church, one church. It's not meant to be confusing, it's meant to be simple. It's a church under the headship of Jesus Christ. Colossians 1 13 through 18, specifically 18, he is the head of the body which is the church. But what has our world done with that idea, the church, with that construct? Instead, it has uh, added on offices and clergy and laity and multiple levels and said that there are apostles in every generation, modern apostles, that we need conventions and councils and constitutions. One prominent denomination on their website, this is what it says. It says, speaking of their organization, Checks and balances are built into all aspects of church life, and the organization of this denomination resembles the U.S. government. The General Conference is the top legislative body. The nine-member Judicial Council is our Supreme Court, and the Council of Bishops is similar to the Executive Branch. But yet, when you turn to the pages of Scripture and you, you look at the church starting, there in the book of Acts, when the church started... Did it need a nine-member judicial council? Did it need a council of bishops to sit as the executive branch? Did it need a general conference to be a legislative body in order to get started, in order to know what to do or how to behave? Absolutely not. You see, what is simple about the plan for the church that God has is that any society, any culture, in any country... At any time, can have the church. You don't need hundreds of people. You don't need thousands of people. You don't have to look across some international uh, council to find what you need to do in your country. No, the structure of the church is simple that we are under the head of Jesus Christ. That we form one body together, working together, serving together, worshiping together, loving each other, forming the family in this place. That to help us do that, we have men who have committed their lives to Christ, who can serve here, this one body, as its eldership. In the first century, that's how they got started in the middle of Africa, that's how the church exists now. In the middle ages of Europe, that's how the church existed. On any island in our entire globe, the church can be established when people come with this idea to follow Jesus Christ. There is simplicity in it, a simplicity but yet a depth. I know that many of you know uh, even more so than I. I'm Maybe take a a side jaunt just for a moment. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, it tells us, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. When we look at the church, it is a family. The family, the most basic unit of relationship within our world. And God says that the relationship of the church, us together tonight that we are a family. It wasn't planned, um, but today is December 6th. Eleven years ago, uh, Alana and I lost uh, a little daughter. We had been here not very long, and I know that many of you in your circumstances of life, in your trials and struggles and losses... The family of God is there to support you. I know from our perspective, we have a sincere, you know, indescribable gratitude that we were here and wrapped up in your arms, that we were consoled, that we were supported, that we were given the love that is inherent in a family. If you want to know the simplicity of God's church, but yet understand the depth of God's church, then you have to be a a member of that family. You have to place yourself inside of it. You have to be able to allow each of us to wrap our arms around, to love, and to support. I know it has happened in my life, and I know many of you, even this year, which has been extremely difficult have felt that exact same thing. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 26, if one member suffers, all the members suffer with them. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice. That's the depth that God wants for his church, that he's designed for his church. The final point for us to consider is the simplicity and the depth of salvation. To be saved, to be in a right relationship with God, is so simple. The world makes it difficult and confusing. They add all sorts of additional factors, or they strip away important aspects. To become a child of God, you learn about your father. You find out how much he loves you. You come to understand and believe that when he makes promises, he stands by them to the T, to the jot and the tittle, that he follows through with it, that you change your life in the way that he has asked you to, you repent, that when somebody asks you or wants to know do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you are willing, you are wanting to confess that Jesus is the Son of God. And if you want Jesus as your Savior, you will die in baptism to be raised in newness of life, just like he has already done for you. It's a simple progression that seems so obvious of learning and growing and deciding and doing, and now you are part of the family of God. It's a simple process that builds upon the knowledge and the truth John 8, 31 and 32, Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, he said, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. It's knowable, it's obtainable, it's understandable, and we can follow it, a logical progression of salvation. And when we understand the depth of salvation... Ephesians 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every blessing is ours when we are in Christ. That's what Ephesians 1, verse 3 tells us. If we want the continual action of God, of Jesus' blood cleansing us, First John 1, verse 7, then we simply walk in the light. We put our footsteps in concert with the family of God, we follow the Savior who leads us and we understand that God has heaven as our home. Christianity is the most blessed life, the most abundant life you can ever have. It will consume you. It will surround you. You will be filled with the love and the joy and the peace and the patience, the kindness, the goodness. And you will want to have the self-control to discipline your life to follow because it is that profound. In our audience tonight, there I maybe find myself in the middle, right? I'm not over the hill yet, but I'm pretty close. There are many here who are younger than I am. God's word is made simple for you to get started, simple for you to get your life going. And I know that you don't understand this yet, but you will how amazing the structure God has placed for us is. And then there are those out there that I know that are older than myself, and you understand this to a depth that I am heading towards. You know how great our God is and how much you want your family to be part of this spiritual family. The invitation is open to anyone tonight. If you understand the simple truths in God's word, and you want the depth of Christianity, then you can obey the gospel. If you are a Christian, then you know Christ loves you more than you can love him back. And so if you need the the prayers of the church tonight, come forward as we stand and as we sing our invitations.